0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
1: As well as doing responsible things like exercise and making podcasts, one of the things that's helped me through this period has been beer. And you could get eight free beers delivered direct to your doorstep. All you need to do is go to beer52.com party That's beer, the number five, the number two, dot com slash party. And cover just £5.95 for the postage. And you'll get eight globally sourced fresh craft beers delivered right to your doorstep. You don't even need to leave the house. Think of it as a kind of cabinet of eight great beers. Each month Beer52 send a case of craft beer from a different part of the world. Recent cases have included beer from the Alps, New Zealand, the USA, Ireland, Korea and Germany. So if you're looking to stock up or just fancy trying something different, Beer52's Craft Beer Discovery Club is for you. And if you do change your mind, you can pause or cancel your account at any time you like. Every case also includes the award-winning craft beer magazine Ferment and a tasty snack. Just go to beer52.com slash party and get your first case of eight beers for £5.95. That's beer52.com slash party. Hello and welcome to the Political Party. Today's guest is Vernon Coker, a former Home Office Minister, former Shadow Secretary of State for Defence and for Northern Ireland, and was the Labour MP for Gedling from 1997 until December's election when he lost his seat. I should say this at the start, Vernon is a friend of mine, I've known him years, he was one of the first MPs I got to know when I first joined the Labour Party. And I've been desperate to get him on, and I wanted to get him on at the right time, and and this felt like the right time. There are some things you should know about Vernon. That seat of Gedling should have been lost Ages ago. It had never been Labour before he won it in 1997. Everyone thought he was going to lose it at every subsequent election, and he held it and held it and held it, until the point at which, in December, it was impossible. And we talk about why perhaps he lost in 2019 when he hadn't lost in other elections and, and the and the issues around that election. But I remember Vernon so clearly, and one of the first Labour Party meetings I ever went to, and he just had such an effect on me. Because I... And you'll, you'll hear this in the interview... He's just such a big personality and so full of beans and so full of energy and life and and optimism and happiness and it's not that I didn't expect Labour MPs to be like that or MPs of any party but it's not even that I had a view of what an MP was like but I think at that age I'd probably thought of Tory grandees when I thought of MPs. I knew Labour MPs weren't like that on the whole and I think I knew that Tory MPs weren't really all like that but Vernon, even then, I just remember thinking, oh, wow, I didn't know an MP could be like that. He was just so funny. And and I just went to this meeting on my own. I think it was to see Nick Brown. And it was on the other side of Nottingham. So I'd have been 15 getting a bus across town. I think it was on a Saturday to go and see Nick Brown, who then, I think, was the Secretary of State for Agriculture, Fisheries and Food, at the now-defunct MAF. And um, I was obviously so excited to see the Agriculture Minister... But I was there on my own, and I just remember Vernon chatting to me afterwards. And I didn't mention this during the interview. I don't know why. It's only just sort of come back to mind now. But I remember him really making a fuss of me afterwards. And I thought, wow, what a guy. Now, this guy's a Labour MP, and he's he's a really impressive bloke, and he's really nice. And then he's just come over to chat to me. I mean, I just the effect that has on you. You know, it was like, and he was a teacher. And we talk about his time in teaching. But it is like a, an encouraging teacher. You go, oh, wow you know, an adult other than my family has kind of given me a bit of support and a bit of encouragement. So we've always been friends since that point. And when I worked for Labour um, in the East Midlands, Vernon obviously was a Labour MP in the East Midlands, so he'd always do events. And, you know, when I moved to London and started working down here, we'd, we'd meet up regularly for a pint down at Parliament. He's just such a big character and so loved. And someone that I always think, like the Alan Johnson thing, mm-hmm. I think he should have gone further and I I wish he'd have been a Home Secretary or or, or just been a more prominent politician for Labour because I think he reaches parts of the country that perhaps other Labour politicians don't reach. And I think it's to Labour's discredit really that that he wasn't more prominent. I think if Vernon had been more prominent, Labour would have done better from... For, for the whole period that he was in really um so this is this is not just an interview this is a catch up with an old friend so at times maybe it lapses into a bit of a chat rather than an interview maybe not maybe i'm maybe i'm being uh, overly critical of my of myself but he is exceptional and he's an amazing bloke and i think at any election there are people that lose their seats that re- that really affect you if you're in politics And his defeat really hurt, and it still hurts. Because when times have been really difficult in the Labour Party, he's one of those people that I always kept faith with. And there are others as well. But he was one of those people I just always thought, as long as Vernon's there, the Labour Party's not fully doomed. And politics isn't fully doomed. And Parliament isn't. And he's not there. But who knows what the future holds? Um, so I shall stop I shall stop waffling on and let you um, find out about Vernon for yourself so uh, enjoy this he's he's such a huge personality and well I think I think over the course of the interview you'll see why I really identified with him but uh, I began by asking Vernon I suppose a bit of a difficult question I asked him what life's like not being an MP anymore
2: was different <laughs> it's not, it's a, uh, you know it's slightly obvious and I, I I mean look you know it was a, it was a disappointing result wouldn't choose to be uh, where where I am but uh, you know you have to get on with it and uh, uh, so I'm, I'm looking to do other things and started to do other things and of course then we hit the horror that we're in uh, at the moment but I'm not as petrol in a tank yet it's, I'm not ready to go and get my pipe and slippers not ready to, to, to give up still got a lot to offer and it's it's finding another platform another way of doing that and that's what i'm doing the funny thing about it though matt is that um for the this is and my wife is laughing there's a picture of me and i was i was debating whether to do it or not of me actually mowing the lawn <laughs> i stood there with the mower I've, i i can honestly say and i don't mean this is a thing i we've got a wonderful garden but jackie my wife does it all do you know what i mean so uh, so but as i say looking for ways to move forward but not uh, not Ready to, to hang my boots up yet or to get me pipe and slippers out yet?
1: No, I just wonder if there are any benefits because politics is such a relentless place to work and being an MP is so exhausting and and you know it's a spotlight that never really leaves you from the day you get elected. Are there any benefits to not being an MP? Is there anything is there any part of your life you think, oh, that's actually that's improved since December?
2: Well, I mean, obviously, you, you do have more flexibility in your time, you know, you still got a lot of things that to do, and you're busy, but there is a bit more flexibility, not being in London for four or five days a week, uh, and therefore you can spend time with your family, and I, I know, look, I'm a grandparent now, and this is going to go out as an audio, you tell me, so, you know, people can uh, can judge how I sound rather than how I look, but the, the, the truth of it is, it is wonderful to be able to spend more time with your family and your grandchildren, you know, and uh, uh, obviously up until a few weeks ago, where we now can't, uh, but uh, that that bit of it is is wonderful. And people always talk about honestly, Matt. They talk about how wonderful the grandkids are, uh, and it's true. You know, it is it is absolutely uh, absolutely true. So that is a real benefit. And I've actually done quite a bit of uh, a bit of reading um, over and above the, the politics, uh, the day to day politics, and I've gone back and reread some of the things that uh, that people uh, you know have written. Reading a bit about Atley, uh, reading again about some. Um, you know, Michelle Obama's book and Hillary Clinton. So politics, but not the party politics of, you know, what this particular bill says or whatever, you know. So a bit more time and flexibility in time is massive, you know.
1: There'll still be (laughs) people in Gedling who still think you're the MP.
2: Well, that's true. I I still get people saying, will you do this? Will you do that? Which is great. I I did hear about somebody moaning about me saying, you can't get Vernon Coker now. I tried to ring his office and I couldn't get through. And he expects us to vote for him. Uh, (laughs) So, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. It's a polite response to that, man. <laughs> sort of, You know, but it's it's just is what it is, you know. And um, but it, it is very it is very funny when. But it's also humbling that people. I mean, I even people who you know that uh, you know I lost by a few hundred votes, uh, but um, you know I lost. Uh, you know, and it's a matter if it's an offside goal, a dodgy penalty, uh, whatever. I still lost. But the wonderful thing is that. Um, You know, people in Gedlin still contact me, still, uh, you know, ask me about things, and that's great. And, uh, you know, you obviously have to find a different way of relating to them. But it is one. you know, I I respect them still hugely, as they do me, I know.
1: Gedlin had never (laughs) been Labour before in its history. You were the first person to win it for Labour in 1997 during the time that I was a member of the party and then was working for the Labour Party, was in the East Midlands. And Gedling was one of those seats. I remember thinking, oh, in 2001, it might be tricky. You held it. In 2005, you think, well, this is it. And you held it. In 2010, when Labour lose nationally, you think, well, surely Vernon's going to go. You hold it. You hold it in 2015. You hold it in 2017. At that point, you must have thought, and obviously that's credit to all the hard work you've done in that seat. It's down to you. But by the point you're winning the seat when Labour are losing nationally, there must have been part of you that thought, as long as you keep doing what you're doing, you'll probably always hold it. Yeah, you, you, you know, I think the big thing, Matt,
2: um, is that I've, I've tried never in life to take anything for granted. You know, I think it's really important that, that, uh, that you can never take anything for granted. You, you're always trying to, to work hard to do things to the best of your ability. Um, and, and that's certainly what I did in Gedlin. And as you say, it was always a, a target seat. We were always going to lose... And you know, for twenty-two years, we we didn't. Um, but I mean, look, I can't walk on water with these things, you know. <laughs> and it was tricky in twenty nineteen. I think is the polite way of putting it. Uh, and uh, so, you know, it was it was it was disappointing. But I tell you one thing, and just to be to be serious, I also stood up for what I believed. You know, um, in twenty nineteen, around Europe tried to respect the referendum result, but also said we need to find a way forward that, that um, is inclusive and respects diversity. All of those things, and I, I, I stood up for, for that. And I was proud to do that. And sometimes I know people have a go at politicians for so they don't stand up for what they believe in. And sometimes you do. And certainly, well, it wasn't, it wasn't the major reason, but certainly it would have been a few people who would have been disappointed and said, you know, Vernon's not, not listening to us well i tried to listen but i also tried to say this is what i think is best for you and best for gedlin and if that does cost me a few votes well it will have to and how, you
1: know, how and what was the split in terms of the the brexit referendum in gedlin well
2: it was it was uh, 56 uh 44 uh leave so um you know it was um you know it was sort of quiet you know there was a there was a leave vote and uh you know, but so, you know, there was a leaf majority there. But I mean, obviously, you know, then I, I thought as it became a bit uh, clearer about what the consequences were, there was a bit of a shift of opinion. And I thought the, the idea of trying to sort of say, look, perhaps we should look at this again, um, was a sensible way forward, which tried to say to people, you know, let's have a look. Are, are you really sure this is the right thing to do? Uh, you know, in Gedling, we actually, you know, we got nearly 45 percent of the vote, which was a big vote um the Tory vote didn't move an awful lot we actually uh, there clearly was some Labour votes went Tory I'm not stupid about it but the, the, the turnout dropped and uh, you know the Green and the Liberal got an increased number of votes compared to 2017 but the truth of it is Matt we lost and you know there we go so we can look at it every way around but you know as I say for us you know we stood for what we believed as well and I think that's important
1: there were so many MPs, and one of the cliches about politics is whenever a, a minister or a shadow minister comes to a seat with the MP, they always say, oh, the local MP's are great local MP, they're working hard, you know, they're your voice in Parliament, I know, and every MP convinces themselves they've got a personal vote. Well, some MPs do, they think, well, you know, I walk the streets of X town and I reckon they love me. Whenever, and so many MPs are deluded about the, the level of personal support, but I think you're one of the ones that was probably the other way where... Your personal support was probably higher, way higher than the average MP would ever enjoy. And it was probably your personal reputation that helped save that seat so many times against the odds rather than the party ticket. You're always the person I think of first when I think of MPs that probably do have a really high personal vote in, that, in their seats. I mean, I'm not sure if that's something, you, it's probably quite hard for you to say that you agree with that. But is that. What's, is I'm that, not going to disagree, disagree with that. <laughs>
2: Uh, look, I, I, you know, I, if I just talk about, it, I, I clearly, um, you know, that's what everybody aspires to do and tries to do and works hard to do. And certainly, if I talk about myself, that's that's what I did try to do. I, you know, I went to went to everything, talked to people. The big thing I tried to do, um, which you know others, uh, you know, will try to do as well, I guess. But I always tried to um, be a part of what I went to so uh, that the people always want you to sit at the front always so reserve your places and uh, you know clearly I did sit at the front and clearly I did go to reserve places but I always tried to just be part of the you know part of it as well and and so I was the you know the, the, the you know the individual who was there not just the, the visiting dignitary and I tried not to you know as far as possible float in and float out but you know it was funny I mean you know, I was part, you know, I knew lots of people there, but I mean, the, the, the funniest thing I many because I taught there as well, Matt. So I, I met, used to me I taught in Nottingham for 20 odd years. So, like, I used to meet, <laughs> you know, so, I don't know whether that's an advantage or a disadvantage, <laughs> but I used to go, you know, I oh, you taught my mum or your dad. You know, the one thing I never had, I, I didn't have anybody So you taught my grandma or my granddad, <laughs> that was on its way. Maybe if I'd have won this time, we'd have had that, but um. I, I, you know, used to think, you know, so I met loads of people I, like, you know, I taught, talk, I which was nice. And people were very nice about that as well. And, but I mean, it was funny as well. I mean, people always used to say, um, the thing, that, I'll give you one, one, one example. So obviously speaking like I do, I don't come from Nottingham, do I? You know, it's, it's very obvious. And so people used to say, how does he get elected speaking like that? <laughs> In Nottingham. Well, I'm not going to, ch- I can't change my accent. It's just... I speak as I am, and I always have done, um, you know. But uh, you know, people used to say that to me, you know, all of the time. How does he, how does he speak like he does? How does he talk like he doesn't, and, and, and still, uh, and still get uh, get elected? But the point I was going to make was that uh, they always used to say to me, and this is what I always try to do: this point about integrity and authenticity. And it's a serious point, but it's a point well made. People always used to say to me, and "This is in Nottingham, yeah. What team do you support?" And I said, "Spurs." And I go, but you live in Nottingham? I said, yeah, but, you know, I want Nottingham Forest to do really well and I support them as, you know, alongside Nottingham County as my second club and the local clubs, you know, like Carton Town and Gedley and I support, you know. But it's where I was born. I was born in London. Do you know what I mean? And do you know what? People said, yeah, quite right. we where he was born, mate. He's in. <laughs> you know, if he said Nottingham Forest, you'd say, oh he's only saying that because he's... And I think that so that in a, in a funny way, Matt. That's a, a way of trying to say I tried to sort of say what the, what the reality was. And you know, I never ever had anybody say they're not voting for me because I said I vote because uh, it supported Spurs. Of course, I want not for us to do well.
1: That's such was- a good point because so many MPs end up from all over the country, ended up representing different seats. And then all of a sudden they've got the, the local team scarf on and they're going to games and they're being photographed at the games. You always think, well, who did you support before you were 40 then? This doesn't yeah. make any sense. And I think, I think it's fine to, to do that. I mean, I go, you know, uh,
2: Nick Randall is a brilliant chair at Nottingham Forest. You know, Johnny Owen is one of the directors with Vicky McClure as his partner, you know, and go with the other sort of feet and talk to them. And I really, really want them to do well. I mean, you're a, a, a big Forest fan, you know, a proper f- and, you know, it'd be brilliant for them. I want them to go in the Premiership. I want the Mucci to do well. Yeah. You know, I really, really do. And I'm there, I'm passionate. You know, want wanted to do a stand-up winning score and da. da, da, da all of that. But, but at, the, at the end, sort of my first team is Spurs because that's near where I was born and where I went to as a kid. You know, shows how old it was. It was like Jimmy Greaves and people like that. <laughs> <play to Spurs. laughs> but
1: sure. It's not, you know, you're, you, the high level of personal sport you enjoyed in Gellin and still do wasn't just about being at the events and stuff like that, the kind of ceremonial side of being an MP. It was also that you grafted hard at campaigning for the Labour Party in that seat every day that you ring Gedling, and so many MPs think it's just good enough to walk down the street and, and look at the areas of Labour's heartlands where the support was dwindled. Now that's not necessarily due to the local candidate. But when you think of L- Labour in Scotland, for instance, I remember working on by-elections up there where they said, Oh, you yeah, just walk down the street, we've and then you canvass that street. I was like, But you need to knock on the door, you need to talk to people. You were always on doors. You were always you were always doing like the hard part of campaigning. G- going to events as the MP is probably one of the nicer experiences because yeah. people are happy to see you. It's a bit like being a Lord Mayor. But the day to day ringing people, knocking on doors, that relentless campaigning—I mean, you—you you were really a sort of beacon of that for certainly for the 1997 yeah. intake because a lot of them thought, "Well, politics is easy. You know, we'll always get elected if we're Labour. Which I always thought you took a very different approach and took. The, the hard nuts and bolts of campaigning really seriously.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, you know, MPs are, you know, campaign hard. But I was just, again, talking about myself, always, you know, tried to, 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 to do that. Knocking on doors, going to see people, street stalls as well, you know, and just... I, we just used to... I mean, this is odd sometimes with the party... We just used to stand there sometimes with the stool saying, Vernon's here sort of thing, you know, Labour Party, but Vernon's here. And sometimes the the party would say, you need to get out there campaigning, put leaflets in their hands. And sometimes I used to say, I think just people seeing you, where they just walk past, I I think, you know, helps as well and matters. But yeah, we used to do that and campaign on particular particular issues. The other side of it where I I, I had a very good office as well in the constituency. Um, And the other thing was we helped... You know, and people will be helping so many people now with the various problems around the pandemic. Uh, you know, the awful pandemic we've got. But we we had an office and we helped people. And one of the things I think was our our number was always out there, and people found it often difficult to get through to particular uh, government agencies or whatever. Whereas they could always, you know, you know, get through, leave a message or whatever um, with us and speak to me, and people used to ring up, I mean, the things they used to ring up about, I mean, I always thought, you know, before I was an MP, I thought it would be about nuclear weapons or world poverty, yeah. um, but I mean, a lot of it, and I don't mean this in a disrespectful way, but it was, was really, you know, things that for people were, you know, they couldn't get the council to cut the grass, the barking dog, and I, you know, yeah. I know yeah. it, it's easy to sort of think, God, trivial. But actually, if you're, you know, I know, and people who will listen to this will know, if you've got a noisy neighbour or a racket in the street or the street lights off and you can't see where you go, these are big deals for you in your local area. I know, it's just a big deal. And so, and Pete was so grateful sometimes, you know. Mr. Coker, we have been trying to get the council to turn our light on and it's been off for months. Can you have a, And you, you ring up the council and say, can you fix the light? And it was fixed the next day. And Everybody would go there. You go, that Vernon Coke is brilliant. Didn't matter what I said about anything else. If I got the streetlight turned on, it meant I was the best politician that would ever been. I was a Churchill, an athlete, you know, a Lloyd George. And I'm not trivializing it because for people it's important, but that basic community campaigning, people feeling you're on their side, but in a, in a, in a that you that because you mean it and you believe it and want to do it as well as you think you have to is crucial. Because people see through it if if you're not that way, you know if it's not authentic,
1: you know. As well as being a popular local MP, uh, you held various ministerial and shadow ministerial positions for the Labour Party. One of your last roles was being shadow Secretary of State for Northern Ireland during the Corbyn years. I mean, it's it's hard to think of a position that would put you at odds with Jeremy Corbyn more, unless you were the Israeli ambassador.
2: <laughs> well, it was. There were moments. <laughs> yes. But, um, to, uh, to be, you know, I have a view about Jeremy, as people know, and particularly with respect to the 2019 election result. Uh, but it, with respect to Northern Ireland, he appointed me, and he reappointed me. Um, yeah, sorry, Ed Miliband appointed me, and then when Jeremy won in 2015, he he, he appointed me again. I'd been in defence, shadow defence to and so he, he he appointed me. and. To be to be perfectly fair, he it's such a massive role, um, and the, the sort of knowledge of it in Westminster has been declining as, as you know really, well, with some great exceptions. And I, I, I you know so it was a really important. And I went there, and uh, you know I, I I said to them, as long as we have the principle of consent, then that's fine. And the first meetings I went to, the various there was a, a, a the conferences that I went to, and I went to every conference from the UUP, DUP, through to uh, the Alliance, the SDLP, and Sinn Féin. Um, you know, I, I I I emphasised that the Labour Party's position was the position of the, the Good Friday and the subsequent agreements and the principle of consent, and then moved on from there. But I also tried to show on a personal level that I cared, that I was interested, and I visited every one of the best things I did. And again, it just shows. Have little things, so-called little things, make a huge difference. I said to all of the MPs at the time in Northern Ireland that I would visit their individual constituencies, and in the time I was in Northern Ireland, so I went to every single constituency uh, of the then MPs, and I emphasised to say that principle of consent, and I hope contributed towards saying that Northern Ireland still matters and forever the people of Northern Ireland want it. They remain a part of the United Kingdom.
1: Labour's view of Ireland, Northern Ireland and Irish politics, particularly in the Corbyn period, became, I think, confused. And as you say, there's a lot of ignorance about, not just in the Labour Party, the appointment of Karen Bradley to, to be in Secretary of State seemed bizarre given the comments that she'd made after she took on the brief. But there seems to be a romanticism in some Labour circles of the armed struggle for united Ireland rather than an affinity with the SDLP. I mean, we saw this week a London Young Labour account Tweeting a tribute to Bobby Sands, it, it feels like Labour's position on Ireland has drifted to a point where it's, it's far more sympathetic to Sinn Fein than it is the SDLP.
2: I think this is the. I think the, the really important thing, and, and this is where people should always go, is the is the brilliance of the agreement um, that we reached and the subsequent agreements. Is that that's where you should go? You know, it's, it's the principle of consent. The government has been. Along with the Irish government, the the, the guarantor of that, um, uh, of that agreement, and to support every party in the development of politics uh, within the context of that agreement, and and you know I think that's where we have to continually remind ourselves and uh, of uh, and and to support the individuals who are you know struggling still struggling with some quite difficult, even at the current time, some quite different. Things that occur and people are still tr- struggling when it comes to dealing with bereavements and awful events that have happened uh, in the, in the past. I mean, you know, it was it was a group. I mean, I was fortunate in meeting some of the great historic figures to do with, you know, uh, you know, Ireland and 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 Northern Ireland, and you know, to meet them and so to have the opportunity to talk with them uh, was phenomenal. And somebody somebody once said to you know, said where well, you met people like Martin McGuinness, and I said, yeah, and I met Ian Paisley, um, and uh, they said, well, Martin McGuinness, I said, well, the Queen met Martin McGuinness. <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, we have to move forward within the context of that agreement, and the brilliance of that agreement, and all the people who did it. I mean, you know, people talk about Tony Blair, and and and, and he was obviously f- phenomenal with that, and Clinton and others around him, and those from Northern Ireland. But to be perfectly fair, John Major did a lot of work as well yeah. in the lead up yeah. to, to you know, 97 and what he tried, some of what he tried to do. And so, you know, I think that's the important thing, Matt. <laughs> I guess what I was getting at is, is,
1: is like Israel-Palestine, Ireland became, in the kind of internal culture war of the Labour Party, became another way for people to express kind of how left-wing they were or, or, or wear it as a badge of honour that actually they were perhaps more sympathetic to Sinn Féin and, and, and and as a result, the things that Sinn Féin was connected with at the time. And I just wonder whether, when you were Shadow Secretary of State for Northern Ireland, whether those sort of discussions were being had or, you know, you basically had in Jeremy Corbyn and John McDonnell people who'd been far more comfortable at a time when it was taboo to, to be seen with those people and perhaps only be seen with those people.
2: Yeah, I just, I just, I just think... That, that was what I, I suppose in it, talking about me and, you know, you asking me that question, that was what I tried to bring to politics. I said, look, you know, you may think this about that. And if we talk about Ireland, this is what may have happened. I'm saying if you want me to do this job, this is where we have to go to and what we have to do. And I, I just think with that serious politics, that serious engagement, rather than some of the, the easy sloganizing that you can do. You know, if you're serious about politics, and this is where I think the Labour Party is now going with Keira's leader, you know, we're going to be serious now about, you know, and dealing with these, I think, you know, that offers great hope for the Labour Party in the country, actually.
1: One of the um, tasks she had to perform while she Secretary of State was to debate with Nigel Farage during the uh, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> referendum. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What was in that Belfast like? As well?
2: well. that was, a, well, it was in Belfast as well.
1: So wow. It's
2: a good lead. So, uh, and... Uh, so we, yeah, it was. What was it like? I mean, it, <clears throat> what I was determined to do. With with, I watched Farage debating, and in, you know, I think we, you know, it's easy to sort of debate him as a sloganizing sort of a uh, you know person, but you know, who doesn't really know what uh, what he's you know talking about and so on. But actually, that's, that's you know, he's he's a he's been an effective politician. Whatever you think of his views, um, so it was you know, we were there. And um, so I had a great debate with him. You know, it's, it's on YouTube if one of the people want to judge, who, you know, who won or not. Um, I, I I personally think that, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I put my point of view, he put his point of view, and I wasn't going to be bullied by it, which is, you know, in a in a thing which you can imagine. But uh, the only thing that I did was at the end was I bet him twenty quid that that uh, the referendum would be won from my perspective, otherwise oh. stay in Europe, um, and. Uh, Of course, I lost and he won. Unfortunately, I still owe him that. So if he's listening to this, (laughs) I owe him 20 quid. I'll tell you what though, Matt, if he wants it, I'll pay him in euros. (laughs) 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 Has he ever (laughs) ever
1: tried to get it back off you? No, (laughs) to be fair to him, he
2: hasn't. I don't know whether he's forgotten. Um, I I, I forgot. And then I I don't know, I mean, it's what, four years ago now, sort of. But I just suddenly, a a few months ago, I suddenly thought, he was on the telly and I thought, I owe him 20. You know how these things come in your mind? I thought, I owe him 20 quid. Um, I suppose, really, I should have sent it to him, but I've sort of been waiting for him to contact me. If he wants it, I'll give it to him.
1: (laughs) I always thought you were the ideal person to be the kind of Labour remain voice, really. And I suppose in Alan Johnson, it had that more authentic working class person uh, you know, being the well, it was hard to get past the fact that Jeremy Corbyn was the leader of the Labour Party, and that was an issue. Yes,
2: that was really difficult.
1: But when you were debating against people like Nigel Farage, I always thought, and, and just in general, one of the great frustrations I had about the New Labour period and what followed it was, and I really wanted Alan Johnson to stand for the leadership, and I thought that would have been mm-hmm. ideal. Yeah. Was, and I think you're in that group of people where you are. People talk about authenticity all the time, but you genuinely are. And actually, that is something that is quite rare. And you sound a bit different, and as a result, you can reach people in a way. And I think, I think people like you and Alan Johnston are really hard to campaign against. And I don't you know, know if that's something you had a sense of yourself.
2: I, I, I have had sort of. Um, I mean, you know, one of the things is just uh, again talking about myself. I mean, I, I, um, I taught for twenty years before I became. I didn't become, before I became an MP. I think, you know, so these are advantages. So, you know, I became, I was a deputy head teacher. I taught in really, most of the schools I taught in were challenging schools. Um, the first school I taught in, shows how old I am, was 1976, a school called Members Pierpoint. Oh, I,
1: remember, I, I taught, almost went to that it's school. It's
2: closed now. I mean, that was tough, Matt. I mean, you'll yeah. know not I oh, remember doing
1: an open day there and it was, at, it was Bedlam.
2: And, and, but I loved it. <laughs> partly partly it, was sort of, partly it was it was a sort of like I was I mean you got to remember I was young and idealistic I mean hopefully I'm not young now but still idealistic and it was, I wanted to go there because you could choose then you didn't apply to an individual school you you applied to a pool and said what sort of school you wanted so I said I want the toughest inner city school that you could give me and not so they gave me um so they said we well, can go to this school and I went there I absolutely loved it Disadvantage, and oh, it was just you know kids at sixteen who could, you know, frankly, barely read, and then all the sort of problems that there were there. But people were there trying to do that, and I absolutely loved it. And then, so that was so. I think part of you know, I became minister for schools. Can you imagine? 1976. I'm there with kids telling me to f off, and you know, and all sorts of other things going on, and uh, <laughs> as you can imagine, and um, you know, chaotic, and then. You know, 25 years later, I'm minister for schools, and I, so I tried when I was there to, to, to as well to, to, to do that. But also, I mean, I, I mean, I talk as I am, um, and you know, I have an accent. It's an interesting debate, this, isn't it, about how much accents does or doesn't hold people back. Mm-hmm. And I told you, I said earlier in in our, you know, in our chat that um, people used to say to me, "How does he talk like he doesn't get elected in Nottingham?" <laughs> And I said, well, it's how I talk, especially if I get excited, you know, it gets worse and uh, I get, I talk faster, but it is, you know, it's where I was brought up in North London. My dad was a police officer, brought up in police flats and, you know, there you go. And, uh, you know, it's, but hopefully, you know, I am what I am and people respect me for that. And I try and do the best that I can. And it's not always, I always sometimes think, I just wish I could have done that a bit better. Um, but I don't beat myself up. I challenge myself. Come on, come on. You know, it's a bit like that famous Stuart Pierce, isn't it? <laughs> come on, you know. You know, he's great at me. I know you've, you're a great fan of Stuart Pierce, and he's overcome adversity, isn't he? And uh, brilliant. but... Uh,
1: so you need a you need a Euro '96 moment. Oh,
2: do people remember that? Do you know? Do, of course do they do. I thought, God, I hope so, because. That, that is one of the most iconic photos ever, isn't it? Where he missed the penalty. And when was it? 90, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, when he was playing for England. And we got knocked out in the semi-final. It was a great England team, wasn't it? That? And we got knocked out in the semi-final on penalties. And Stuart was one of those we missed. And then he came forward six years later wasn't it, Matt. Yeah. And in the, in the European semi-final. It some, yeah. It
1: was the quarters uh, against Spain.
2: Quarters, I beg your pardon. Quarters, yeah. <laughs> came forward in the And he came up. And he actually, and he took the penalty and he took it and he scored. And his reaction when he, people need to Google this and look at his reaction. When he turned around to the crowd, I can't say what he obviously said. <laughs> <laughs> sort of the equivalent of, yes, get in there. Yes. And it's that fate it was just, and you felt for him. Um, but I just thought, what an example, what an inspiration. You know, there's a man who's achieved so much, but what, you know, his pride for his country, his pride in himself, his pride in his family meant so much. And he did that. And the, the, the tension that that released from him, you know, it's just astonishing. We need to learn from things like that, I think. You know, great great military leaders, great military, some of the soldiers you see on TV now, fantastic. Some of the sportsmen and women, some of the, 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 the ordinary people, like Captain Tom. You know, they're, like, they're such an inspiration, aren't they, to us all?
1: I think they are but a a lot of people perhaps on the left might not like that you know they don't like the kind of particularly Englishness is an issue let alone Britishness within the Labour Party and the Labour movement and and class as well is is something that is very thorny issue that I I think there's sometimes a misconception within and without the Labour Party that if you're working class you're more left-wing and if you're um, a bit posher than you're you're at the Blair right end my experience was always the opposite I always found that the posher people were more left-wing and the more working class people were at the new labour end
2: well I, I agree with that analysis and and I mean uh, there's, there's a couple of things one is that people confuse patriotism and nationalism yeah uh, they definitely confuse that and um you know there's nothing wrong with being patriotic we you know, and pride in your country, desire for your country to do well is, 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 is phenomenal. And I think some people in the party have confused the two. And, I, you know, again, I was pleased to see Keir Starmer's article about patriotism and the importance of that, especially on a day like VE Day, yeah. um, you know, today. Uh, and also, we might want to come back to that, but the, 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 the also, I mean, you know, my, as I said, my dad was a police officer. You know, I, I was always, when I taught, I was a great believer in school uniform. You know, when I, you know, in some of the school, tough schools, I always said, it's important these kids are in uniform. That they look smart. They take a pride in their appearance. Yeah. And, you know, it's so, so important. Um, you know, and, and I did all those sorts of things. You know, you will wear a uniform. You will wear a tie. No, black trainers are not the same thing as black shoes. Even if you <laughs> Can I tell you one thing, Matt? Just that we, there was a time when we, when, when, when I started at one school, where we, met, we, we, we introduced the tie at school uniform and when people came in, we 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 sort of sort of looked at them as they came in, and we put to one side the small group who hadn't got school uniform, rang their parents and said, they you know do you realise what's going on? And I always remember one parent said, you know if you carry on with this, I'm going to ring up the local paper. And I said I always remember saying, well can I just say, Mrs So and So, that's absolutely brilliant. Can you please ring up the local paper and say so you are fed up with the school in uh, enforcing strict. Discipline standards with respect to uniform. I'd be really <laughs> grateful if you could do that. Uh, they didn't do it, which is a bit, but you know, this important point, serious point is standards. You know, those sorts of things matter. Um, they're not old-fashioned. They're at the heart of uh, encouraging people to respect themselves, um, look after themselves, and, uh, and do their best.
0: It's remarkable
1: that you went from being a teacher to being a schools minister, and you're the son of a police officer, and you ended up being a policing minister as well. So, you, you ended yes, up yes. in your ministerial life expressing your background in a way that few politicians ever know. Oh right. I really oh. remember, and you, <laughs> I don't know if you remember <laughs> this, but in 2006 during the World Cup, and I was working for the Labour Party at the time, and I remember, and I you know you obviously full of hope. Um, for that campaign, but I remember having Sky News on in the office in the East Midlands Labour Party regional office, and you were in some sort of public square in Germany, and there's like a fountain behind you, it's just England fans everywhere. I don't know if you remember this, but th- there was an interview where you're, you're being interviewed by Kay Burley or whoever it is, and I can't remember the exact phrase, but you were out there kind of assisting the authorities. Uh, and I, uh, I can't, uh, maybe I'm getting this phrase wrong, but it was you said something like, and I remember cheering this in the office. Yeah, you know, we're over here, uh, you know, helping your forest season. you know, people be, uh, you know, people, you know, they're enjoying themselves, having a cup of beers, you know, that's all right. But, you know, make no mistake, if people start mucking about, they will be dealt with. I just thought, oh, man, that is what you want to hear Home Office ministers saying in a square full of England fans. I thought it was amazing. Well, that
2: is, uh, yeah, I do remember that, actually. Um, What what I was more pleased about getting the word mucking about right, I saw live on telly, so... I was really pleased with myself with that. But that it was, it, I did say that um, because, because I wanted to get across. I mean, I'd gone there. I was in the Home Office and uh, I was responsible for uh, crowd behaviour or whatever the polite political term was for po- football hooliganism and the worries that there were that there'd be problems in Germany, and there were some. And we, I went over and was talking to German ministers, German police chiefs and so on about what to do. And the English police were over there the, 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 as well advising them. And I said, look, football fans anyway, they're going to drink, they're going to have a laugh, they're going to have a choke. But even the majority of England fans will know what, you know, what is or isn't acceptable. Yeah. And, and I just said to them, look, it, you know, I did, and I did use the word mucking about, so I remember that. remember it very clearly. But, but it was just, you know, like you're just in a square, you've got the atmosphere yourself. And I just thought, I'm not having it. If there's, you know, the majority of people are fine. And they're great, and they want to cheer on England, and they're enjoying themselves, and uh, and they, most of them are mixing with other fans from other countries. And you always get the odd idiot, and I always, always have thought, why why do we put up with it? Why do we put up with it? Now, I'm not saying beat them up and lock them on throw the key away on it, but after you know, if people aren't behaving properly, there has to be a consequence. You know, full stop. It's not asking about
1: it. No, I, 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 most people agree. But firstly, it was the it was. He a was right, the Well, yeah, exactly. It was talking normal people's language and it was talking your language as well. So that I yeah. think that's why it really cuts through and why I remember it so clearly. But also, when you think about where Labour is now, and perhaps it will be different under Keir Starmer, but when you think of perhaps even the last 10 years of Labour, having that view of crime hasn't always... Felt like it's been the prevalent view of the leadership that there has. We've come a long way from tough on crime and tough on the causes of crime, and that view that actually you are responsible for your own behaviour, and if you fall below acceptable standards, you will be punished. That Do you, know, that, you yeah. know, you get called a Tory for thinking stuff like that. Well, I, it, <clears throat> I think it's a
2: traditional Labour view of, of of how you deal with these these things. Do you know the other side of it though? Is you see, this is this is the, the tough love aspect of it. If I go back to when I when, when I was teaching or indeed when, you know, when I was in, you know, in government, but also now, I'm also the biggest advocate for it's a disgrace that kids haven't got decent playing fields. It's a disgrace that youth clubs have shut. It's a disgrace that there aren't enough, uh, you know, children's support workers. It's a disgrace that kids are suffering domestic abuse of all sorts. And I'm the biggest... Do you see what I mean? It's not a choice, this, between... And that was the brilliance of what Tony Blair said in that sort of, thing. you know, it's not a choice between you are rather tough, you know, ah, uh, you know, to sort kids out, you just have to be horrible to them and and you know, uh, punish them if they do wrong. Of course, there have to be consequences. But alongside that, you know, if you look, if you talk about me as an individual, I was the bloke running the Sunday football, uh, the Saturday football team. I was the bloke running after school clubs. I was the bloke ringing up and saying. You know, why, 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 why we, what, I always remember one, there was, there was, I won't say her name, but she's stuck in my mind for, since 1977, she was in the first class that I had, a young girl in the secondary school, you know, she, I don't remember, I was a form tutor, and she got put in detention for being late. Do you know that girl was looking after a drug addicted mother, an alcoholic father, and three other siblings? She should have been given badges of honour for actually yeah. getting to school, yeah. and yet, and, and so I was the one who went arguing with her teacher. Why are we, why are we putting her in detention? It's ludicrous. Get on the phone and get her some help. It's amazing that girls in school and we're punishing her. But on the other hand, you know, you'd have somebody, somebody, you know, stealing or something like that, and somebody say, "Oh well, he's, he's a bit tricky." Was well, so he stealing? <laughs> you can't just sort, of, you know, sort, of, you know. Uh, you can't just sort of, sort of shrug your shoulders about it. And I'm saying not necessarily just automatically do it. Do you see what I mean? And I yeah. think that view of things is what needs to be is how you view uh, how you view um, is my it, it informs my politics, and that's what I tried to do on a time office minister.
1: Why has Labour always struggled to fully embrace that as as a as a kind of set of principles? Why has Labour historically certainly? in the years immediately pre and then post-New Labour, always felt that being tough on crime in both regards, but yeah. certainly having a view of punishment, why is the left so... Why does it find it so difficult to, to have that view? Well,
2: I, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I, I, my own view of this is because it gets a bit... Because you, you, you don't want to be you know, you start with, you know, we need to sort of understand people. We need to appreciate how difficult the circumstances are that some people have had in their upbringing. Um, and that, of course, is absolutely right. I feel that as much as anyone. But then people then are reluctant to sort of then say, well, because people have, you know, and look, don't get me wrong, not everybody, you know, uh, who commits crime is from a broken home or whatever, but there's a sort of sense in which, you know, should we really be punishing people when it's that they're victim of their circumstances? And I, I think you think if you do that that way, lies disaster, because the people who I mean, who are the people who suffer from, uh, who are the communities who suffer most mo, most most often suffer from antisocial behaviour or criminal behaviour, uh, or, 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 or drug dealing, It's some of the poorest communities, and the vast majority of the people in those communities don't commit crime, do they? But sometimes they're terrorised by it. And I just think the state has a responsibility to act in a, in a, in a firm but fair way to actually sort that out.
1: Well, um, I always wondered if that was actually the root of the problem, was that a lot of Labour members hadn't experienced living in places like that. I remember we got burgled. I grew up in Snenton, which is a part of Nottingham, you know well, in the inner city. Uh, very friendly and warm place, but very tough as well. We got burgled when we went to Skegness. We had awful trouble being victims of various different crimes. I remember going to my first Labour Party meeting in a different part of town um, and them being very kind of hand-rigging liberally about it. And I remember, I think I was only 15 or 16, I said, has anyone around this table actually been burgled? And I was, I was the only person who had.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: And that really informed my view on it, which was it's poor people that are the victims of this. And what sort of Labour Party allows yeah. people... And the only reason you're living in those areas is you can't afford to live anywhere else. You're trapped economically... You're hemmed in by circumstance. You don't have any power to change it. And then the <laughs> Labour Party would would the thought that it would say to those people, "Well, actually, you need to think about the mugger a bit more," and that is important. But for, for that to be the main phrase, I mean, you know what? Saying that reminds me of a, a phenomenal piece of history that you have. Is that you coined the phrase "hugger hoodie"?
2: Uh, yeah. <clears throat> the, 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 I am in the Oxford Book. book of the, yes, the, the Oxford Dictionary. What do they call it, Oxford? Book Qu- of quotations or whatever it's called. Yeah. Yeah, that was um well I got suggested it and uh, then I used it and then the next day lots of other people used it. But, so, <laughs> uh, but I it was yes, it was a it was a it was a it was a good phrase that it was it a wasn't good phrase. I mean yeah. to
1: think that we lived for a period of time where the Labour Party was accusing it about Well exactly, it was about David Cameron that we, we actually yeah, yeah. lived to see a period where we were painting the Tories as too soft on crime that they were that they were lefties uh,
2: yeah but it's you know it's again you know I, I sort of you know in the end i just think that that there's a misunderstanding that sometimes you you know it's the tough love thing hmm. you know it's, it's, it, that's how i sum it up you know it's tough love and sometimes people find that <clears throat> i think it's hard for people because because they care and they and sometimes it's just out of a genuine because they care, they don't, they, they, they sort of, you know, it's a sort of like, oh God, do we really want to sort of hold somebody responsible when it's been so tough for them? Uh, whereas I sometimes used to think, we're gonna have to be tough here because otherwise we're not actually helping. As much as you, you, you're doing good and being kind and being nice, but on its own, it, you know, I think the challenge for public policy not, it, is that isn't sufficient on its own. Yeah you know, t-
1: tough, tough. Do you tough think Labour went too far in office? You know, when we, when we started getting bogged down in debates about ID cards, how, how, you know, do think, you think hmm, Labour sort of lost its way, went too far? I think, uh, yeah, I
2: mean, I don't think the country was ready for ID cards then. And, you know, it, it is, it, 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 I mean, people virtually accept that you have to prove your identity. You know, you, you, everywhere you go, you know, you've got a passport, you've got you've got this. You, You know, and all those sorts of things. I just think that people were a bit anxious about the idea of ID cards. Um, You know, and lots of people were, I wasn't totally convinced myself, actually, to be perfectly honest about it. But, you know, on the face of it, it sounds good, but, you know, look where we're going now with the pandemic. You know, people are going to be asked to, quite rightly, I think, to to have an app that shows where they are and if they've been in danger of being infected. so
1: we, we're coming a long way, aren't we? Yeah, well, I suppose in a way, what what this does is is in a way justifies some of the logic behind um, wanting ID cards. I mean, I always thought, just in terms of consumer affairs, they would be hugely beneficial. But I think that, particularly within the Labour Party, they were seen as draconian and uh, uh, a yeah. really an assault on civil liberties.
2: Yeah, I, I, they were. And, I mean, that was one that cut right. Even I had sort of, I'm not sure about that myself, you know, and, uh, I, and that sort of wobbled it because I think people automatically assumed I'd be a big fan of ID cards, you know. And I, so, I'm a liberal as well sometimes. <laughs> um, but, um, so I don't know. But, uh, you know, we'll see where we've come and <clears throat> where, we've, where we've got to. Well, what a day today, though. So we're talking about patriotism and traditional values, but on VE Day today, um, when we're talking to each other, what a day.
1: Well, it's amazing. And obviously you think of your relatives and the people you knew that, that fought in those wars, whether it was in Europe or Japan or wherever. But I do, you know, there was a debate. I remember talking to Aaron Bastani about this when he'd said, I think he'd said something like, the poppy was a symbol of white supremacism. And I, uh, the point I made to him was that when people wear the poppy and when they, you know, stop and think and pause on days like this, it's not for most people out of a sense of the loss of the empire or superiority. They're remembering their granddad. They remember, they're remembering working class people who were sent in various wars in their droves and didn't come back or came back profoundly changed. And I think that misunderstanding of individual psychology in all this has been a real disconnect, perhaps with particularly the Corbyn years and the people.
2: I I, I think that that people see the poppy as a symbol of the suffering and sacrifice that people have made and the service people have given to defend democracy uh, and the freedoms we enjoy today. Uh, And I I, I think that's how they see it. And I think they're right to see it that way. I wear the poppy with pride. Uh, And today I've got a flag um, outside uh, the house.
1: Uh, Which countries? UK or Palestinian?
2: (laughs) Union flag, the proper union. And um, we, um, you know, we're going to have a. uh, We're all going to, you know, as the government have said, going to be in our gardens, have a socially distanced, proper little toast to each other. I'll be outside uh, as well for, for for one or two things, properly socially distanced. But I mean, for me, it matters an awful lot. If people Google my name on, uh, on social media and put Sergeant Vernon Coker they will find a grave that will come up and it will be Sergeant Vernon Coker uh, killed on the, six, the three commando, of the Devonshire Regiment, killed 6th of June 1944 age 23 uh, that's the man I'm named after that's my uncle uh, and my dad's still alive he's 93 um, so his brother and so for me it's very personal thinking of of uh, Vernon my uncle who obviously I never met um, and there'll be countless other people who remember uh, the sacrifice that people have made in that conflict but obviously in lots of other conflicts more recently as well but also Matt I think it's important to, to remember all the people all their families all the people who worked here you know the the land armies the sort of you know the people who went into the munitions the uh, Factories, the women, as it was then, you know, in the, you know, the people who suffered here, the rationing that went on for years afterwards, the other things, and you know, we, the one thing people, you know, people said to me, I just, just recently, a few months ago on Remembrance Sunday, somebody said to me, do you know, Vernon, I don't agree with you, but do you know, on days like this, I remember the fact that in our country, because of people we're remembering today, we can disagree with each other, and we don't have to be worried about that. And you know, the freedom of speech, the freedom of association and all that is even the freedom of people to chuck me out of getting is 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 something that we remember and democracy is something we can't take for granted.
1: I get the sense that you're tentatively optimistic about Keir Starmer and, and what he and his leadership might mean for the fortunes of the Labour Party. Do you think under his leadership you'll see a kind of when we're talking about crime and punishment and things like that, a return to view that Labour had when we were in office, when when Labour was in office. I keep saying we, I'm not a member of the Labour Party anymore, but obviously I worked for it during that period. Do you think Labour will return to a tough on crime and tough on the causes of crime?
2: I'm I'm, I'm very optimistic uh, about the future of the Labour Party. I think I supported Keir Starmer for leader. I think he'll be an outstanding leader of the Labour Party. In the short time that he's been leader, the things that he said about patriotism, about tackling uh, anti-Semitism, the calm, methodical way he's questioned the Prime Minister just this week, but also uh, the Prime Minister's questions he had before, although the Prime Minister wasn't there. I think that calm, methodical approach uh, and his desire to uh, to be his own man, I think, is important as well. So I don't think he'll be defined by how Tony Blair was or how Gordon Brown was or, or people. He'll be Keir Starmer as the Labour leader of 2020 and beyond. Uh, and he'll be his own person in that sense, his own leader. But I'm very optimistic about that. I think people see him as a serious politician. They see him as somebody uh, who, you know, who gets it uh, and somebody, you know, who um, at long last will lead the Labour Party in a way uh, that that, that they can relate to. So I'm very optimistic about it. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, he's done very... He's done brilliantly, I think, actually, in the first few weeks. Um, and he'll take the Labour Party forward. But he will take it forward in, the, in his own way. And, and I think that's important.
1: Some of the things we talked yeah. about, patriotism and, and crime and things like that, are parts of the reasons that many people give about why they didn't vote Labour last time, that, 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 that perception and that drift from 2010 onwards that people thought, actually, Labour doesn't really seem to like Britain that much um it doesn't you know it doesn't feel patriotic it doesn't feel like it's it takes crime seriously enough um do, you know is there a parallel universe in which you go from being a home office minister to becoming home secretary and then could have become leader and labor history would have been very different with someone like you in charge well
2: well i, I, I maybe so i mean look you know the the you know not necessarily me but I, I certainly think that, that, that some of those perceptions around those issues they weren't always fair. Uh, I don't think, um, and but but there was a perception there that was was really difficult for us to to uh, you know overcome. But I mean, to be you know to be fair, some of the things that um you know the party have said. If you look on the economy, you know the need to tackle inequality, the fact that uh, people are now. Regarded as the key workers as some of the lowest paid in our society, yet they're the most fundamental to our, uh, you know, ability to deal with and get out of this pandemic. Um, you know, I think I think the Labour Party has been saying that for, even during the last 10 years. And, and, you know, the inequality, I mean, that is going to become something that is going to become, again, right at the centre of, of, of politics. And we've been saying that you know, that austerity was a mistake. And to be fair, the last 10 years we've been saying that. So, you know, I, I you know, yes, about patriotism, yes, to a certain extent, about some of the, the other issues. But also, uh, Matt, I have to say, we've been saying that as a party, even, you know, under Jeremy, under Ed Miliband, over the last 10 years, austerity was a political choice, and it's been a mistake, a massive mistake. And uh, as we move forward, tackling inequality, making sure public services are properly funded. But also, our society is going to have to change. We can't just go back to where we were before. And I think, um, you know, in that sense, the Labour Party's message on tackling inequality, the key workers, will be massively relevant and important as we go forward. And Keir Starmer will lead that.
1: You embody a, a, a form of Labour tradition and a, and a type of Labour personality that, that I really identify with and feel very strongly about. Labour leaders don't always necessarily feel like that. I think Alan Johnson's the last potential leader where people really felt that he was in that sweet spot of, uh, you know, it's not even about your background. It doesn't really matter where you're from, but having that diversity of accents and really Labour leaders, some of whom obviously I'm very, very keen on, sound either very well-spoken English or they're Scottish. There doesn't seem to be much regionality when it comes to leadership roles in the Labour Party, or people who were talked about as leaders, do you think Labour has a class problem? As you know, not even compared to other parties, but the the, the Labour history seems to shy away from having regional accents considered yeah, for the I, top I, job.
2: Yeah, it's it's, it's it's a couple of things to say to that. I mean, accents sort of it's not just you know are it seems to me are an issue, but I think I think for people. Wherever their whatever their background, I think what people search for is credibility. Is, Is is you know that's what people are desperate for. Does this man or woman is that somebody who I think has got it, irrespective of how they sound, how they look. I mean, the classic example, to be honest, is a wake up call, isn't it? I mean, you know, I sometimes think we should be more diverse within the Labour Party. Maybe we're judged in a different way in the Labour Party than. Than the Tory party, but in some of the most traditional working class areas of our country, they have voted in their droves for an old Etonian, Oxford educated, Bullingdon club or whatever it was, man to be prime minister. Well, do you see what I mean? Yeah. It makes, yeah. so it's not just how somebody speaks and sort of, in the end, and this is why I think where you know, why I support clear P because he's credible. People see him and they look to him and you can see it already. And I've heard it from people already. When they look at him and they look at many of the people in our shadow cabinet, Angela Rayner and other people like that, they look at them and they think they're credible. And that is a that won't win an election on its own, but you can't win it without it.
1: But do you think there's a bit of a glass ceiling in the Labour Party and, and always has been? This isn't just a Corbyn thing. I, I sort of thought it when I was looking at the by around things like class and accent. I mean, you've just taken the Corbyn years Seamus Mill and Corbyn himself you know these are all public school boys they were the ones who were most animated about class war perhaps as a rebellion against their own background who knows but I always felt even working for the party not as a member of staff but I felt for the politicians and maybe I'm wrong maybe I'm just maybe I had a bit of a chip on my shoulder about my own background but it does feel like there's a bit of a there's a bit of a class issue in the Labour Party and other parties as well.
2: Yeah I you know look a uh, sort of I, I, I don't know. I I I think in the end, I mean, you could if you talk if you look at me. Jeremy Corbyn appointed me to the shadow cabinet. Ed Miliband appointed me to the shadow cabinet. To be fair, so you know, in, so in a general sense, I think you know that um, it, it it that's not totally you know there is a, a sort of sense in which people can get on. I think the, the big thing in politics is credibility and authenticity, and it doesn't matter what your background, who you are, if you haven't got that. Then you've
1: got a problem. Your nickname yeah. was Big Vern, which <laughs> I, I just thought was always, people get called, you know, Big Nick, Big Dave, whatever. It was only when I started reading Viz. I know it was Viz, I was like, oh man, it's a character, Big Vern. the gangster. <laughs> the gangster who at the end of every comic strip ends up shooting his own head off.
2: <laughs> I, 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 look, my, my, lots of people still call me Big Vern. And, uh, <laughs> I'm not quite sure why that is. but in the end, I've sort of taken it as a compliment, um, as sort of, you know, cause my, some of my best friends, best colleagues, you know, um, you know, when they come and say, you can hear them, they'll go on the terrace sometimes, with, to have a pint or something, you can say, big birds here, <laughs> attention, big birds here, <laughs> and it's a term of endearment, I think, um, well, I hope it is, but, I know, I'm yeah, sure it is, not. Uh, uh, and, uh, but it's, um, yeah, it's, uh, it, 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 it's just something that seems to have stuck. Um, it, it's been used on the media a couple of times as well. You're using it now as well. But, uh, uh, you know, I was on radio in Nottingham a couple of times and somebody said, well, where's this Big Vern come from? And it's, uh, it's, it's just quite quite amusing. So it seems to have stuck a little bit. And uh, But I take it as a term of endearment. And, uh, you know, Big Vern will be back. He's not gone away and he's coming. He's on the way back and he'll be there. Don't you worry.
1: Have you been back to Parliament since the election? Uh, no, I've been
2: back to London, but I will go. I, but I've not. Well, I, it's not quite true. I went into. Um, I had to go and pack my things, which wasn't the, oh, man. the most fantastic experience that I've uh, that, that I've ever. You know, you know, who's taken over my old office. No, Jeremy Corbyn. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy, Jeremy's got it's a nice office, mind. I give you that. I'd find a bit here. I'd have taken it as well. It's right up there. People won't know this, up. But it's right at the top of Paul Cullen's house, lo- overlooking, uh, overlooking Parliament and uh, Westminster Square and all that. Oh. It's a Beautiful office. But it, but um, uh, as I say, so I, I I went back for that one time, uh, and uh, but that's the that's the only time I've been back. Although I've been back to London uh, a couple of times to do some work I'm doing around modern slavery and trafficking, and uh, and also just to to see people. Uh, but and I will go in, but I'm not just going to going to go in um just to go in if you understand me yeah. so if there's a reason yeah. to go in of course i will um, well,
1: uh, ha- was that emotional having to clear your office out
2: yes yeah it was and you know look as i said at, at the beginning uh you know obviously you know you make the, the you know the best of it and i'm i'm not finished yet and i'm gonna carry on in politics and i'm carrying on and will do but it was you know i wouldn't choose to be here so it was it was emotional to take some of the stuff down but from the from the walls and uh, clear some of those things away and then take them out. It wasn't helped by the fact a Daily Telegraph photographer took a picture of me leaving with it as I came out of the gates.
1: Like leaving Lehman Brothers. <laughs> I
2: came out of the gate and I sort of got his picture for the following, I think it was the Telegraph, I know, he got his picture for the, you know, look, it, 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 I, I, I'm not crying about it. So, but I did think, you know, look, you know what? You know, just be a little bit, uh, you know, fair here. But anyway, it was, it, it, you know, in the great scheme of things, it didn't matter. But I did feel a bit emotional about that. Um, but as I left, I remember thinking, I'm leaving, but I'm coming back. I'm not quite sure how or in what way or in what capacity. But I've got a lot to offer politics yet. And, and, and it, the toughest thing, and this is true, you know, all of us and everybody listening to this, and you included Matt, at different times you get knocked back. You just have to sometimes say, you know, okay, I've been knocked back, but I'm, you know, this I'm going to, you know, it's not me back, but I'm going to move on. I'm going to learn from it. And I've still got a lot to do and a lot to achieve. And that's how I feel. Uh, I wouldn't choose to have lost, but I have. So get on with it.
1: I don't want to dwell on it, but on the night, I mean, were there any other elections in Gedling where you thought you'd lost? Or each time?
2: uh, I thought... I thought we might lose in 2010, and I thought we might lose in in this 2019 election, um, particularly in the last couple of days, the, the, you know, without going into the, you, we were probably a few hundred in front a few days out, and then we lost a bit in the last couple of days um, as the don't knows broke, and the don't knows broke to not voting for us. Uh, or voting for somebody else or not voting.
1: And was there anything Uh, that happened in that last two days, news-wise or locally, that that is the reason for that? Or was that just as people started to focus on... Just as
2: people... Yeah, no, no. As far as we could tell, it was just people who we canvassed saying, don't know, you know, and without being funny about it, saying, really like you, Vern, but not sure. Um, That must be so hard to hear.
1: That must be so hard to
2: take. It's, you know, and particularly, I mean, one or two people I've known for a long time. And, you know, to be fair to them, they were thinking about how what what was in the best interest of themselves and their families. I didn't agree with them, but look, that's democracy. But certainly in the last couple of days, we picked up those people who'd previously said don't know, saying they weren't going to vote for us.
1: And was there and was any just main reason no. they were given?
2: Uh, well, Jeremy Corbyn was, the, the was, uh, you know, some some Brexit, but the, to be honest, the majority of people that that were, were moving away from us were, were Jeremy Corbyn. Yeah.
1: That must be so me. hard when you've been the yeah, MP for I mean, 22 you know, years, you're not a Corbynista, yeah. you know.
2: I know, but, you know, look, it, 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 people used to say to me, well, that's, you know, uh, how do you know? And I said, well, because every other door it was set, you know, and... And and you could hold some of it um, by you know look I've been an MP here for twenty two years I've done this I've done that and for a lot of people they'd say yeah and therefore I'm still going to vote for you but in the end that was a problem and you know it just was and uh, you know but, but as I say you know disappointed that that was the case disappointed that result happened but for me. Um, and my family, as we said at the beginning, gave gave me a bit of space, spent some more time with them, reflected on some things, and now I'm going to move on. Uh, uh, you know, when the country comes out of the pandemic, as it will, hopefully as soon as possible, with as little pain as possible, um, and into something new, new fresh horizons, the next phase <laughs> in my political life. So let's uh, say, uh,
1: let's say you stand again for Gedling and win. Would yeah. you get your old office back?
2: Well, it'd be my first priority. No, <laughs> no well, let's be my third priority after serving the people of the constituency and serving the country and all that. My third priority would be I want my old office. This I can get a better one, Matt. We're all
1: humoured. <laughs> <laughs> oh mate, <laughs> this has been, this has a been such one a office. pleasure. I feel bad no, for, so. for, for asking you about the defeat, but I just think people don't I think a lot of people don't appreciate the personal cost of being a politician and having served a constituency for so long with such a high level of personal popularity. That's why I wanted to talk to you specifically about that sort yeah. of experience because it, I think people should know how it feels to go through that.
2: Yeah. I, I mean, look, the, the, uh, that's absolutely fine. And people say, how are you? and, 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 and all of this, and uh, there's a couple of things, you know, about it. It's, it's, you know, it's part of politics, but it's hard. It's disappointing. It's frustrating. But the, the crucial thing is it's happened and you can't let it define you. You know, you have to move on from it. Um, yeah. And that, for me, anyway, others will find other ways of doing it. It's people may, but I'm not finished. I've got uh, stuff to do. And the thing, the crucial thing for me is what's the platform for me to find... Uh, my, th- find the ability to have a voice on these issues that I care about, both in Parliament or around Parliament or within Parliament in, in whatever group. And when's my Stuart Pearce moment coming?
1: <laughs> well, it took him six years.
0: Yeah, yeah well, hopefully it won't save you that long. You know, kids,
2: you know but I mean, you, the, the point I'm making is, you know, it's, I, I use that as, a, you know, that example, but there are lots of, you know, other examples where people have come back from sort of really, really difficult situations and disappointments. And they've, they've sort of dealt with it. And, you know, that's what, that's what I'm going to do. And I've still got a lot going on. There's still a lot happening now. And there's still a lot going to happen in the future. You know, and i still got things that I want to do. And I go back to the, you know, the, the, the girl I was talking about at the school. I talk about the people I've tried to help, the causes that I've tried to fight, things I've stood for. I'm still going to do all
1: of that. It's Vern. finally the platform to do it. We're all rooting for you,
2: mate. Thanks ever so much. Great
1: to talk to you. Mate, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, there you go. Big Vern, Vernon and Coca. What an absolute treat that was. So energetic and full of beans and life and optimism. Just brilliant. I always, always leave feeling better whenever I've seen or or spoken to Vernon, so hopefully now you do too. You can email the show, politicalpartypodcast at gmail.com, share it on your social media, tell your friends about it, spread the word. Thank you to those of you that have left iTunes reviews. I know I always ask, but there's a reason. It really helps other people find the podcast. It helps push it up the charts and everything. So please do that. And uh, happy VE Day, if you listen to this on VE Day. If not, happy VE Day in retrospect. Have a wonderful weekend, and I'll see you soon. ta